this, this, uh, this mini-series of, of The Good Shepherd. And what I want to do is I want to kind of continue down this same thought process and seeing that there's a, there's a lot of parallel whenever you begin to, when you begin to see the Lord as the Good Shepherd. I, just that first line is, is of Psalm 23 is really the crux of everything that we're talking about um, in this series. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That first verse, it's so powerful if we can hold on to that. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And so in that, we see in Psalm chapter 37, it kind of goes into a little bit of a different thought process in that when we look at Psalm 23, it lays out, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters, restores my soul. It's beautiful, right? It walks through the path of restoration. Leads me down the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So everything that we do righteously is for his name and the edification, the glorification of, of God's name. And then even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear evil because he's with me. His rod and staff, it comforts me. Correction is beautiful. I love that's in connection with there. Then he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil so my cup overflows. Surely his goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's beautiful, 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 beautiful. And Psalm 37 goes through and, and, and kind of gives a different side and perspective of Psalm 23, talking about the ways of the wicked. And in contrast, also gives you the process of the righteous. And so we're, we're looking at this, at this series in the sense of the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. If we understand that, then everything else that happens within Scripture in this, this area that we're looking at, it makes sense because we're not relying upon what we see currently. We're relying upon what we know about who we are in God, right? John 10, my sheep know me because they know my voice. They hear me, they hear my voice. And in that, they'll follow. We'll also see that he calls himself the gate and that you only enter through him. He is the only entryway to be able to get into that process of living righteously. And so we have to be in him knowing that he is the path. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through Christ. And so when Jesus is our good shepherd, then we lack nothing because we have direct access to relationship to the good father, the good shepherd. And so Psalm 37, let's, let's walk into, we went through verses 1 through 11 last week. Let's go through uh, verses 12 and we're going to go through 19. It starts by saying this. He says, The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. This is, this is great. Because it also makes way and makes room for understanding that things of evil will happen. The wicked people will do things that are wicked. Right? Those who are walking in wickedness actually do things that are wicked. So it's, again, it's not this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I'm just sitting at the, at the green pastures for the rest of my life. I don't worry about anything else happening. I don't walk into anything that's, that's, uh, that's conflicting with, with what I know is good. We see that evil happens because there's evil in the world, right? And so we should not be afraid of that. Because he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That means evil exists in the valley of the shadow of death. He's not dismissing evil from existing. He understands that there's evil that happens, that people make mistakes and people are led astray and people will, will disappoint you. And then there'll be all kinds of things that happen around nooks and crannies and different areas in the journey that we take in our life. 
However, I'm not going to fear the evil because I know that he's with me. That doesn't mean that evil things don't happen and that the circumstance don't meet you, but it means that I'm not going to be afraid when those things happen because I'm not, I'm not driven by this specific circumstance in front of me. That's not what defines me and defines how I react in that. It's the, it's the faith that I know that he is with me, that I know that in the good shepherd, in the presence of the good shepherd, I lack nothing. So even in the face of evil, even sitting in the presence of my enemies, I lack nothing still. And so the wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. So it may not be now that those who are doing these horrible things, those who are walking the paths of, of wickedness, doesn't mean that it's stopping, it's stopping today. It means that their day is coming. Okay, let's, I, I, I won't belabor that too much. So the wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. So it shows they'll come against those who are, who are righteous, those who are poor, those who are needy. There'll be oppression that happens in the middle of this. They'll draw their sword, come against them. They'll, they'll seemingly attack them with a bow. You don't, you don't do hand-to-hand combat with a bow and arrow. Unless you're an Avenger, then Hawkeye can do that, and that's great. You don't see people doing hand-to-hand combat with a bow and arrow. You do that from a distance. You have, you have, a, you have a, a bit of a, of, a, of a length that's between you and that, and that thing that you're going after. When you're hunting, you don't wait until they're two feet in front of you to do that. You, you find that they're within shooting range, and then you capitalize on the fact that they're within the line of sight. So that means that things can happen from a distance as well. You can feel that attack from a distance. You can feel that with a sword and hand-to-hand aspects. So the wicked will draw the sword and bend the bow and bring down the poor and needy to slay those who are upright. Verse 15 says this, though, but their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. You've heard the expression, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. This is not to be confused with the fact that, that we should pursue poverty as believers. This does not mean that we have to live in a state of, of not having things that we need or desire for. However, this does mean that better the little that the, that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. The, the love of money is the root of all evil. The, lo- the love of money. Not money, the love of money. That's, that's wisdom right there. If we desire for money for the pr- purpose of self-glorification, then we find that we have pride in our heart instead of the humility of using that for be- the benefit of those around. The only way you can help the poor and needy is if you have resources to help the poor and needy. You have the capabilities. It doesn't mean that you always have the financial uh, capacities, but you have a skill or something like that that can also aid in the needs of the poor and the needy. And so you have to be able to offer something that's valuable in order to assist those who are in those predicaments, right? Does that make sense? So you're utilizing these things for kingdom principles. One of the greatest things, you look in the book of James, he says that, that one of the greatest things that we can do is care for the widows and the orphans. That's the responsibility of the believers to care for those who are in need and those who are oppressed. 
a huge process of being a believer, is caring for those who have those needs. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. I want to highlight something here <clears throat> as, we, as we come back to, to Psalm 37. But I want to I jump into two, two specific verses in the New Testament. And so we're not spending so much time only in the Old Testament. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, uh, says this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This whole chapter deals with the maturity of the body. In the, in, the book of, in the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. So this chapter is specifically dealing with the maturity of the body together. <clears throat> so he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus says this as a part of the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. So again, remember, in Ephesians 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, and blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. The, the intention of unity in the, in the body, the body is supposed to be a family, right? That's the, that's the whole intention of, of why God wanted to reestablish the connection that he had with, with Adam and Eve and Eden, that familial connection wanted to reestablish that and did that through Christ, establishing what it meant to be a true disciple, what it meant to truly have a life and a heart that's drawn towards serving God, not just in deed, but in everything that you are. Right? You've heard it say, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you just look at someone with lust, then you've already committed that act. You've heard it say, don't murder. But I say, if you hold hatred in your heart for someone else, you've already committed that act in your heart. And so you've already missed the mark. And so the, the process is not just in your actions. It's in the process of your, thought, of your thought life and how that will lead into certain activity. You treat people certain ways because you already think of them in that manner. You have reactions to people because there has, has not been that barrier removed. And so for me, I found that this is very important for how I I deal with my thought life. Paul talks about this a lot. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Peter repeats this again. He says, do not be conformed to the ways that you find in this world, but have transformation through the renewal of your mind. They repeat, they say the same thing because it's so valuable and important to understand, to understand the teachings of Jesus. You have to have a transformation of what happens within a couple inch journey in your skull. In the book of John, John, John describes that the process that we undergo in being in Christ and him being in us will actually transform us to the sense that now our desires match his desires. We also see it written that, that we don't get what we ask for because we ask amiss. Why are we asking amiss? Because we don't have the heart that's aligned with what Christ desires for us to be aligned with. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Are we praying for peace to happen in all of our lives? In every scenario we walk into? Again, I will reiterate this because this just fascinates me that a peacemaker is not someone who just walks into a room and all of a sudden there's like a wave of peace that just hits everybody. Sure, there could be a presence felt when you walk into a place that someone notices that there's something different. But if someone is not aligned with the heart of God, then it's going to stir up some things inside of them that will be indifferent to what you represent, the one that you represent. And so our responsibility is not that we're hunting for the demonic or that we're going after every single thing that comes. We're ministering to people, knowing that if there is demonic activity in someone's heart, then our responsibility is to minister to that person so that person can see the liberation that comes with knowing Christ. Because Christ is the liberator. I'm not the liberator. And so if you really want to know how to minister to to someone who's struggling with things, we have to be able to say, I love this person to the capacity that I, I'm going to be a, uh, like a hostage negotiator, essentially. Walk into a chaotic environment, walk into what's going on in their, in their lives, and I'm going to counsel them through this, through the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, who I rely on because I know that I cannot set someone free outside of Christ. And so how can I minister to this individual with love and compassion, knowing that they don't have peace in their life, but I have access to the one who is the Prince of Peace. And so in that, how are they going to receive intimacy with God? I'm teaching a class on deliverance right now at, um, at Family of Faith Christian University. And I'm having a lot, of, a lot of conversations with my students right now. There's a couple of them that they're, they're very interactive with uh, deliverance ministry. They have a lot of experience like just sitting and walking people through deliverance, and it's great. But I, but I mentioned that there seems to be at times a hyper-focus on de- de- the ministry of deliverance outside of the ministry of reconciliation for someone to understand the heart of God. Because it's not just the process of getting set free from the oppressive thoughts of the enemy to try to come against you. It's the, it's the fact that we need to lead people to know who Christ is. And in Christ, they can be transformed. So it's not just a single deliverance session. It's not just like an inner healing session. It's not just come up and then we just, you know, get prayer for things. What happens when someone doesn't receive healing when they get prayed for? How do we communicate the heart of God to them in the middle of that? What if someone still walks away after we pray with them to, to be set free of something and they still struggle with this activity in their, in their mind or in their heart? They, they struggle with that process of being being free or walking out that freedom, right? Listen, there was a there was a there was a long time where I, I struggled with with looking at things online that I should not have been looking at, and and there were, there are times I would go to trusted individuals and ask for prayer, and it seemed like there was no breakthrough after prayer. I, I maybe I'd feel great after I get prayer. It's like, man, that was great. Now it's all taken care of, but my mind was not transformed in the middle of that. Sure, I could have received some some great encouragement and some great um, some great equipping in that moment to say, man, I, I can tell that the, the, the stress of this activity has been relieved and I feel some peace. However, my mind wasn't transformed to realize that the activity of my day was leading me to do those, those things. That was my issue. It wasn't the fact that I just needed a prayer real quick and then walk away and bam, I'm good for my life now. It's a process of renewing the mind. I had to, I had to be very specific about, okay, I have social accounts. That's amazing. However, I need to make sure that I'm removing distractions that would lead my mind and uh, paint a little breadcrumb here and then end up 
to where by the end of the evening, my mind has already gone to the place to where I'm going to mess up that night. And it wasn't, it wasn't at the beginning of the night th that happened. It was the process that happened before then, and before then, and before then, and before then, that my mind wasn't transformed. And so when we look even at Psalm 37, the wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows the day is coming. The wicked draw their sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those who are upright, but the swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Better the little the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In times of famine, they will enjoy plenty. We can only enjoy the plenty and the lack of famine in our lives if we transform, if we go through the transformation process of relying on the good shepherd, knowing that I lack nothing in him. If I'm relying on myself, to, trans, to be transformed, if I'm relying on other people to do this for me, then I will miss the mark continuously. I will do it continuously because I'm not connected to the good shepherd. I'm connected to somebody who's claiming to be connected to the good shepherd. Now that person's become my savior or this type of ministry has become my savior or this type of activity in, in, uh, in church has become my savior, but actually not connecting to the good shepherd. I'm just hanging around the flock hoping that my wool is, is, is clean enough to hang out and to be called the sheep. Matthew 5, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's the pure in heart. And this comes with honesty and transparency. You cannot have purity of heart if you contain pride. cannot be pure in heart. I cannot combat those thought, those thought processes and, and desires to do those things if, if I'm not transparent in my understanding of knowing I am not above the need for accountability in everything that I do. For those who you, of you who are married, you understand that you cannot withhold information from your spouse and expect that you're going to thrive in your marriage. You can't hide money from your, from your spouse hoping that you can just have a little fun with that because you feel like you can't have fun. The pure in heart are people who understand. It's, it's not that you are so, so ever-loving holy that now you get to see God. It's the fact that you're open and honest. David was one of the most open and honest individuals that you see in Scripture. And sometimes it was because he had to be confronted of some things that he's going through. And then he was able to crack open and go, oh my goodness, Lord, I, I missed it completely. And I messed up. Take not your spirit from me. That's the part posture that we need to have in everything that we're doing. We cannot be so prideful and to think that, that we're above the need for this accountability in our lives. The wicked may do some things against us, but... Goodness gracious, we, we are more wicked than the, than the wicked people at times. Paul said, I, I am the uh, I'm the chief amongst the sinners. He understood that, that he was not a perfect individual. His past was not perfect. He was a religious leader and still missed the mark heavily. And so we cannot have pride so 
dwelling so heavily upon us that we that we don't walk out the means to be a peacemaker and to have a pure heart. To be called the child of God, we be, we're, we're peacemakers. To see God, we have to be pure in heart. And in that, I, this, I love this. James, I mentioned this before. James says, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee. It is in the submission that we have to the good shepherd that we find that we lack nothing. So the temptations of the enemy don't necessarily matter at that point because I've submitted myself completely to the Lord. And in knowing that I lack nothing, I will resist the devil. It's not resist the devil first and then I can submit completely to God. It's backwards. Submit to God, resist the devil. It's in our submission that we resist him. Because when you're submitted in humility, completely and totally, and just the same thing I, as I've mentioned in the book of Matthew chapter 5, the very first um, of, the, of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You cannot have the kingdom of heaven as a part of your heart if you're not humble. If I'm not humble, I cannot have that inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. I, I will just not do it. And the pure in heart, the humble, when you look at the way that someone would come to the throne of a king, is that they wouldn't just say, what up, king? I'm here, just made it. All good, right? We're cool. That's not how you approach a king. You get down, you kneel. You bow yourself down in reverence and in honor to the king who is before you, who has the capacity of telling multiple soldiers, slit this dude's throat, cut his head off, put him up. He has the capacity. He's authoritative. If you remember C.S. Lewis's, uh, his, his book of, uh, going through like the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. They talk about Aslan, and they ask the question, is he safe? The reply is, no, he's not safe, but he's good. Is he safe? Not for the wicked. Some of y'all were looking at me crazy when I said he's not safe. Hold on. Is he safe? No. Not its entirety. He's holy. He is righteous. He is worthy. Absolutely. So is he safe? No. But is he good? Yes. And so the only way that we get to that point is if we humble ourselves. I've got to bow myself before the king of kings. And in that humility, I get to see the, the inheritance and that inheritance is that he pulls me up and calls me a child of God. The pure and hearted who come humble before the throne are the ones who actually get to raise up and see God. But the ones who are wicked and hold a place of contempt and pride will fall. Because what? Pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall. So they will not see God and inherit the kingdom. So in the kingdom, it's humility that actually gives you the inheritance. It is not jockeying for a position, having to execute everything that's in front of you to try to get to that place. The inheritance comes through our humility. And so when we look at it in verse 15 in chapter 37, everybody okay? You guys good? Okay. Verse 15, he says, but their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. He doesn't say, you will grab their sword and you will chop their neck and you will judo chop their stomach. 
and you will kick them down and shove them down a hole, and that's where they will perish. It doesn't say any of that. It says their own swords will pierce their hearts, and their bows will be broken. It doesn't say anything about us lifting a finger towards the wicked, because that's not our responsibility. That's not what we're, we're designed for, because our responsibility is to minister to those who are brokenhearted. Our responsibility is to love those who are, who are in bondage so that they can be poor in spirit and inherit the kingdom of heaven, so that they can be pure in heart and see God, so that they can also turn into peacemakers and be called children of God. So we are not supposed to come against those who are wicked. We're supposed to rescue those as special agents of the kingdom, as peacemakers to display the kingdom of heaven for those who do not see. That's what our responsibility is in this. So the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. It says nothing about me upholding myself as a righteous individual that I've proclaimed myself to be. That again is pride. I cannot be full of pride and be upheld by the Lord. be bowed in obedience and reverence to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In times of famine, they will enjoy plenty. Why is this? Because he is the one who provides for us in the storm. He is the one that brings peace in the chaos. He is the one that mends the hearts of the broken. He is the one he is the true healer. He is the true deliverer. It is through his sacrifice that we have healing. It is through his sacrifice that we have deliverance. It is through his sacrifice that we have salvation. Not through anything that I can do so that I can boast on myself. And that's why in Ephesians, when Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. He even goes further, I didn't put this up there, but he says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The other day I went to, uh, I went to Oklahoma and was able to see one of my, uh, one of my seminary professors and his wife. And uh, he, wrote, he wrote that book I shared earlier about um, called Restoring the Soul. Phenomenal book if you want some good stuff on inner healing. He's one of the best instructors on that topic that I've, I've heard before. He says this in his book. He says, entering into a state of shalom is a place of security, safety, wholeness, and well-being. Shalom is a word that we use in peace a lot. Again, I'll, I'll cover this over and over and over again because I think this is so, so important for us to understand. That peace, that word peace, that word shalom, is a place of security, a place of safety, a place of wholeness, and well-being. Blessed are the peacemakers who bring security, safety, wholeness, and well-being to those who are in shambles, to those who are struggling, to those who are wounded. Blessed are those who understand that in Christ they have a place of security, safety, wholeness, and well-being. So that when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to fear no evil because he provides me security, safety, wholeness, and well-being. 
because he's with me. And then his rod and staff, it's actually comforting because you know the one who brings you security, safety, wholeness, and well-being is only correcting you so that you can stay secure, safe, whole, and well. And so my reliance doesn't need to be on how much I know, how much I can do, how much I could possibly achieve, or strategies that I've, I've, I've learned from before. My, my whole entire realm of peace comes only from true intimacy with the God who can provide safety, security, wholeness, and well-being. That's the only place that I can find these things. Otherwise, I will end up being one of those who will stand before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, hey, I preached on a lot of Sundays about you. I traveled to some places. That's great. I taught some classes, had fun, led some worship sometimes too. It's great. I had a blast. It was so cool. He's like, dude, depart from me. I don't, I don't know you. It's the most tragic thing that could happen. The most tragic thing because there's, there's all this activity, and yeah, there, there could be some people who are led to, to the Lord in the midst of that, but me, myself, not knowing him is a tragedy tragedy and so it doesn't matter how much you can or cannot do it matters do you have intimacy with him and do you hear his voice so that you can obey what he's asking of you and that comes through intimacy that comes through reading the word that comes through prayer it comes through listening prayer and i've been on such a kick of listening prayer lately it's transformative what it can do you really let the Lord minister to you in those moments. And then you start to see there's an area that I was completely unaware of that needs transformation. And do you know where a lot of this comes from as well, too? Other people who hear God's voice and s can speak to you, can minister to you. They don't have to give you a thus saith the Lord. I'm not even comfortable to say thus saith the Lord. But I can tell you I really feel impressed that this is what, this is what the Lord is laying on my heart. This, this could be a miss. I did this yesterday. I, I sent a message to, to a friend of mine, and I was like, hey, this, this, could be, this could be something that has nothing to do with you, but you popped in my head as I was driving, and I just felt like I wanted to share this with you. If this resonates, let me know. There's a grace that comes with delivering something like that. Because it gives them the opportunity to, to ask the Lord, God, is this from you? Or is this just an encouraging word? I ended it with saying that. I was like, Hey, if this, if this isn't something that resonates with you, just know that I'm encouraged by being your friend. I feel like that's helpful. At least it is for me. But the place of shalom is a place of security, safety, wholeness, and well-being found only in Christ. He's the only one that came down, lived a perfect life. Put on display what the law actually was supposed to mean and lead us into. And then provided a way of salvation through his sacrifice. And it wasn't just a sacrifice. I love a historian, a church historian named Justo Gonzalez. He says this about the first century church. He says, when they took of the Eucharist or communion, when they partook of that, they didn't concentrate so much on the cross. They concentrated on the empty tomb. Because there were many people in those days who went to a cross. They understood the cross very well. 
the implications of that. Nero lined up Christians on stakes and crosses all throughout the town, put Christians on all of them, and set them on fire to light the city streets. They were familiar with a cross. So it wasn't the cross that they were so paid attention to. It was the fact that Jesus was not in the tomb anymore that they were able to celebrate and glorify. We can be so woe is me about our sin and miss completely that we have freedom in the resurrection of Jesus. Peace comes from not wallowing in my sin. It actually comes in realizing that I have been raised from death to life in Christ Jesus. And because of that, I now have an inheritance as he sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us and preparing the way for us to see him face to face. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Again, purity of heart is not perfection of heart. It's openness, it's transparency, it's the willingness to be made seen not being hidden but being made seen in front of the one who can provide us with the healing and restoration of the soul the Lord is my shepherd I lack nothing and because I lack nothing he actually takes the time to lead me into the into, into the, 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 uh, the green pastures takes me to a place where I can have the security, safety so that I can be whole and made well leads me into the green pastures takes me to the still waters so that I can be reshaped for the purpose of restoration if he takes us to those places of quiet contemplation I love listening to prayer right now man it's transformative you find where your thoughts go on a consistent basis you find how easily distracted you can become whenever you just allow yourself to be silent. And you start to realize the things that lead your mind into the position and the places of missing the mark because your thoughts have not been transformed. Your mind has not been renewed. And so you start to see the places and the Holy Spirit reveals that stuff to you for us. Reveals those inadequacies. Reveals those, those negative thought patterns. Those, those behaviors that have been led to and started from those thoughts that we have about ourselves and about others. We find that anger that's not righteous driven, but it's, but it's poison to our hearts more than it is something that's transformative. Because there's such thing as righteous anger, but there's also anger that leads to malice, hate, contempt, and bitterness. And so being made aware of what is it that the Holy Spirit is leading me into in these moments. The wicked will get theirs. Those who decide to, to stay wicked and to not be transformed and to not follow, they will be pierced by their own sword in their hearts. Their bows will be broken. I don't have to lift a finger against them. My responsibility is to stay close to the good shepherd, realizing that I lack nothing. And then whenever he sits me in a table in the presence of my enemies, he's anointing my head to the point to where my cup is overflowing. So now I have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit active and alive because I'm not reliant upon those who are sitting at the table in negative. I'm actually reliant on the good shepherd who gave me the restoration of my soul. And so I, it doesn't matter about these people who are sitting there. My identity is found in the one who prepared the table. And so if he prepared the table, that means the enemies are there for a purpose and a reason. And my cup will overflow. And in the overflowing of my cup, I will share with them the goodness and the mercy that he has bestowed upon me. And they can be transformed. And in
in that transformation, we can stay humble because we realize it was the one who prepared the table that gave us that opportunity. It was not the fact that I could deliver something that was in a cup that was overflowing. All I did was sit and obey the Lord's direction as he prepared that table. And so I have faith and I trust that when I'm at that table in the presence of the enemies, that something good is going to come from that. It may be pressurized environment. It may be contentious for a little bit. There may be some weird feelings because you're dealing with these, these thoughts about these people. I mean, they're called enemies for a reason in that table. However, as he anoints your head with oil, you realize again it's the touch of the good shepherd because you've been restored. And then he pours out the things that you need so that you can partake of the cup. And then you realize, oh my gosh, in this cup, it's pouring out more than what I could even take myself. So I'm going to share it with these who are at the table so they can taste and see that the Lord is good. They can taste it. I don't have to say anything. I just give them the cup. I just provide them with what they need there. What you need is not mine. What you need is what only he can provide for you. Because he has provided for me. It's not anything I can do on my, on my own. Because if it was up to me, I would have taken the sword out already and cut all y'all. Right? But the cup that I have is overflowing with what he's provided me. Because he set the table. So silver and gold have I none. Right? But what I have, I give you. They were trained and equipped by Jesus to go into the world to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, set free those who are in captivity. They were trained by the one who had the authority and gave them the authority as believers, gave us now the authority as believers. But it's not to glory and to and to revel in the fact that things can happen because we pray for people. It's the fact that we introduce them to the only one who can give them salvation that their soul and their heart needs. Sure, they get healed, that's amazing. Can we lead them in the position of saying, this was Jesus? Or do we raise our hands and go, I'm awesome, I just did that. That's the wrong heart posture. Cannot be that way. It was the cup that I handed them and the overflow of who Christ is and what he did. It's the thing that gave them the thing that they needed the most. For some people, we need to be able to communicate the gospel in a way that makes sense because they've had so many things that come against them. For other people, you, it's just a matter of praying for them so they can see the power of God is evident and it is greater than anything else that they've come to. And then you can communicate easily because their belief is there. But that's where we have to be guided by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit because he will lead me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, not for my name's sake, not so that I can say I've been the most strategic person making this thing happen. No, it's for the glory and the nature and the honor of the one who is holy, the one who is mighty, the one who can provide these things. That is the whole reason why we go out and we preach the gospel, why we pray for the sick, why we do these things, not so that we can say these gifts are amazing, but so that we can say, look at how amazing our God is. And you need to know him too. All is for your glory. All is for your name. In all things, you will have the first place. And in all things, you would have the preeminence.
Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It doesn't say make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through arguing with every single person that has just a little bit of a different viewpoint than you do. It doesn't say keep every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit except for those who kind of get on your nerves or they want to do some stuff or they want to, to implement some different things that you just don't agree with and so you cut them off. It doesn't say that you make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit except in those moments where it's inconvenient for you. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The bond of peace is only accessed through the Prince of Peace. He is our bond. He is our reason. And so in relying on Christ, we make every effort to keep unity. In relying on Jesus, we make every effort to do that. Because he continues, there's one body, one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, then you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul even says, some of you guys are tripping because you're looking at Apollos and you're saying, I'm a disciple of Apollos. Some of you guys are looking at Paul and you're saying, look, I'm a disciple of Paul. Some of you guys are looking at Peter saying, hey, I'm a disciple of Peter. That could be real, real easy to do here too. I'm a disciple of Pastor Kim. I'm a disciple of Pastor Zach. Oh, I'm a disciple of Pastor Kevin. Oh, I'm a disciple of, of Sister Virginia. Oh, I'm going to say, you can go through any other person. And Paul says, hey, stop it. Stop it. This is ridiculous. We all serve one God. There's only one father. There's one good shepherd. Only one. There's only one way, one truth, one life. And it's through Christ. And so I cannot be someone who is so divisive in the midst of trying to gain or jockey for a position. That means I'm puffing myself up in pride, claiming that I, oh, we only go to, to, to Heartland Christian Family Church. Everybody else is just full of a bunch of sinners and liars and stuff. It's like, hey, welcome to the club. We're imperfect too. We miss it. We don't have a full picture. We see in part. We prophesy in part. We hear in part. We see through a, gl- a glass dimly. It takes a full expression of the body. I cannot, it, Paul even says in 1 Corinthians, you cannot be mad because you're a foot, because you're not a hand. You cannot be a, mad if, if you're a nose, because you're not a foot. That's crazy. You were created to be you, and your full responsibility, my full responsibility, as Zachary McAnulty. There's only one Zachary Dwayne McAnulty. My responsibility is to be the best me that I can be in serving him. That's my full thing. It doesn't matter if I'm pastoring a church. It doesn't matter if I'm working at a college. It doesn't matter if I'm, if I'm working at Walmart. It doesn't matter if I'm working at a car dealership. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Do I know Jesus? Am I being transformed by him? That's the biggest thing. That's the main thing. Do I know him? If I don't know him, then it doesn't matter. It does not matter. So blessed are the peacemakers, 
but we need to know the Prince of Peace. The wicked will get theirs because they will pursue what they want to pursue. Our responsibility is this, to remain humble in front of the King of Kings, to know that he is the good shepherd and that in him I lack nothing. And so even if I don't have everything monetarily that I want or materialistically that I want, he's still my good shepherd and I don't lack anything because the because what that means is that his goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. Paul says, I know what it's like to have much. I know what it's like to have a little. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not for an athletic conversation. We People use it a lot in sports, but that's a high misuse of that passage. I know what it's like to have a lot and what it's like to have a little, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is only through Christ who strengthens me that I can get through any of those seasons. Because rich people, it's very hard. The scripture says it's very hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven because it can get pretty prideful pretty quick. But I know that I can rely on the good shepherd. And then when he leads me into a place where you know someone who is wicked, is now sitting at your table. Metaphorically or literally sitting at a table. Then all you do is rely on the same one that you relied on before who provided you with restoration of your soul. And when he gives you the wisdom to open your mouth, you open it with all the love and compassion that you have, knowing that it is not that person that I'm trying to, to come against. It's the lies that the enemy has told that person and convinced them that this is who they are that I'm combating. And so I minister to them with all the love and compassion that I can have in my heart so that they can see God. And so I just give them a cup. That's, my, that's the love that I have. In my love, I give them the same cup that I've been given. And I offer them that same mercy that I've been shown and that I'm continually shown. Because let me tell you, I'm not perfect. You ask that lady right there in the front row. Isn't that right, babe? Amen. First amen I got out of her today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's not in my perfection that I've received salvation. It's in humility that you receive salvation. When you say, I need saving, that's a humble place to, to start from. And so that's our responsibility. If we miss that, we miss the whole boat. The entire boat. It's gone. You're trying to grab a, a floaty device and you're going to sink quickly. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I'm closing my laptop so you don't see me. <laughs> it is my desire that we live so in tune with the Holy Spirit that it doesn't matter at what point, because there's going to be lots of disagreements between all kinds of things that happen. Let me tell you, from in transition, there are things that, that dad has, has done that I may not do the same way. There, there's going to be things that he's done that I'm going to do the same way. But the whole entire process should lead us to a position of humility and grace. So there'll be times where we'll, there will be disagreements in the way that some things happen. Fully aware of that. I'm not amiss to that. However, it's in the grace and humility that we keep the bond of, of, of the spirit through the bond of peace. 
We keep unity of the spirit. We keep unity. If we are mature believers, truly, then we'll be able to navigate through things that are difficult for us. And it's in that that we grow as, as family and not as acquaintances. Otherwise, if we can't deal with some contention, then we're just acquaintances because we'll peace out very easily. Amen. So when we deal with things, when we go through different ideas and we have stretching moments that, that maybe we try something and it doesn't work. Maybe we don't try something and that continues to fail. <laughs> we figure out what's going to be the best route and avenue for us as, as the body of Christ, as the family of Christ. If truly we are family, then we will go through this process together. We will find accountability with one another. If someone's screwing up royally, guess what? We can meet them with the expectation that I love you so much that I'm going to speak life into you. And this life means I want you not to be in, in the behavior that you're in right now. And so true family will listen to the wise counsel of a, of a brother or sister in the Lord and say, thank you for bringing that up to me. It, you may be ticked when someone brings something up to you. Man, I could, let me tell you, it could be very easy to catch offense whenever someone lets you know that you're doing something that you thought you could have been doing really well. And you start to realize, oh, crap, this was not like I thought it was supposed to be. Some of y'all just got offended. I said, crap. Let's go. Come on. We need to be honest and open with each other in these moments. We need to be able to sit down just like we're sitting in a living room and have a conversation. I should be able to say stuff right here that's not taboo if you sat down and listened to us talk at the table over here, just in the other room. We're in the same building. Yep. We should not be different in any of these aspects. We shouldn't put on a face when we come in here. What you get is what you get is what it should be. Yep. And there be growth in the middle of that as we can be, again, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You will only see God if you have the purity and the authenticity and the humility to stand up and say, this is who I am. And I need to continue in transformation. I'm speaking for myself. This is who Zach is. And I will continue in transformation as well because I've not arrived into a place of perfection. I'm still a fallible human. And so we can move into this place, keeping the unity of the spirit as we hold on to the bond of peace who is Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. You cannot be a peacemaker if you don't ever go into an environment together that warrants the need for peace to be had. So let's stand. A little bit different of a message this morning, but I feel like it was like it was something that we needed to, to walk through a little bit. We'll continue on in Psalm chapter 37. It's this is packed full of a lot of really good um, encouragement. But the thing that we need to take most out of this is that we need to be reliant on the good shepherd because it is in him we lack nothing. If we ever move away from that, then we will miss the mark when it comes down to living a life for Christ because then we made it about ourselves. He is the good shepherd. And in him, I lack nothing. So Father, thank you for your encouragement in the word. Thank you so much that you gave different people, different expressions so that they can understand the truth of what it means to follow after you in grace and humility. Thank you, God, that we have the, 
the access to a family of believers that we can be in accountability with. We can grow with one another, and we can be challenged by one another as well. Thank you, God, that you have given us the capacity to sit at tables and to have the wisdom given to us. Thank you, God, that sometimes we could be the enemies at the table and that someone else has been the one carrying your wisdom and that in their overflow of presence with you, they provide us with a cup that we so need because we have been so desperate for nutrients, God. So we thank you so much for challenge. We thank you so much for conviction. Thank you for your rod and your staff. Thank you that it brings us comfort, and then if we can be humble, and if we can submit ourselves to you, then we will find that there's restoration in that. We find there's peace in that. So let us not be so full of pride that we cannot be corrected. Let us not be so full of contempt for someone else that we miss the boat in being able to love them and minister to them and see them come to the nature of, of loving you. God, give us your heart for others. Give us your heart for change and transformation. Give us your heart to understand that we need to continuously be humble so that we can have the inheritance of your kingdom alive and well in the expression of our lives. Lord, for those of us who have been going through many different wars in our minds, I just pray that your peace just overflows and overwhelms them in Jesus' name. Lord, bring up the behaviors that are leading them or the thought patterns that are leading them to specific behaviors that don't honor you. Lord, we don't just want to stop behavior. We want to stop the thought that leads to the behavior. We don't want to be led into wickedness through the insert of those thoughts. And so any kind of oppression from the enemy or any kind of past and previous habits that have been formed, I pray against those right now in Jesus' name and pray that you would illuminate our hearts so that we can be made, made whole and we can experience restoration. We don't want to be so full of spiritual ideas that we completely miss the boat of having a relationship with you. And we don't want to be so rigid that we completely miss the gifts that you've provided for us and desire for us to be able to operate in so that other people can experience you. Let us not be so rigid, God. Give us wisdom. Give us grace. Give us peace. Thank you for your patience. And we ask you, Lord, that in your patience, your love is made known to us. We love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.